From Bumble Australia and Shameless Media, this is Love Etc. When my love takes me home, it's one of five to thirty miles on. wish you could tell your 20 year old self if you had the chance what wisdom would you impart if you could go back in time welcome to love etc where your hosts michelle andrews and zara mcdonald Hello, you're listening to Love Etc, a podcast by Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move. Today, for our last episode of season three, we are talking about all the things we would tell our 20-year-old selves about love. From romantic love to friendship to ourselves, we wrap up a season all about relationships and sex and mistakes by sharing some of our very best lessons. So let's get into it, shall we? We are starting with romantic love. We are throwing first of course, to the Beehive to hear what your best dating advice is for your 20-year-old self. My piece of dating advice is that you see a future with the person you're with, but you don't expect a future with them. I think it takes pressure off the relationship and off yourself. Don't ignore red flags just because you want a boyfriend. Call them out, don't waste your time and move on. You will meet someone else, you will meet someone new and you don't have to laugh at their semi-racist, semi-misogynist jokes. Identifying your insecurities or trigger patterns early is a really big one. So after years of dating and friendships, you kind of start to realise that often the same insecurities or problems pop up across different relationships and it's a bit of a pattern. So it indicates that it's not necessarily what the other person is doing or saying that's the problem, but more that it's igniting some deep-seated insecurity in you, whether that's abandonment or feeling like a low priority, whatever. It makes communication way easier when you come to explaining like why you don't like their words or behavior and also removes a lot of the blame towards the other person when you realize, okay, look, this just might be me having a strong reaction. That obviously goes without saying it doesn't apply in all contexts like in abusive relationships, but for healthy relationships, it can save a lot of arguments. Mish, there are a few gems in there. Yeah. I want to start with you, though. What was the first thing that came to mind when we decided to do this episode when it comes to romantic love? So I was sitting down before and I wrote some bullet points because I think there's a lot there's that I've so learned over the last six years when it comes to dating and romantic love. The very, very first dot point I have is four words or five words with a hyphen. Take things on face value. I think a younger Michelle would make excuses for the men she dated. I think I would try and bend situations to sound better than they were. I think when someone treated me poorly, I was constantly trying to look for the green flags instead of taking the red flags that were right in front of my face on face value. So I think that would be a big one that if you tell yourself the story plainly and if you tell yourself how it is, whether or not that's the person I'm dating won't introduce me to their friends or the person I'm dating goes days at a time without contact, that's the situation. I think that is the full story and you probably need to sever ties right there and I wish 20-year-old Michelle 
would sever ties, but we all know she didn't. Yeah, and it's such a tricky one, right? Because because you didn't sever ties, you ended up learning lessons that kind of led you here to now. Mm. But it reminds me a bit of that Maya Angelou quote, if you flip it a bit. You know that one where it's like, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. If you flip that and do kind of the inverse of like strip it all back and work out how this person makes you feel. And at the end of the day, if you're feeling anxious or stressed or not yourself, then yes, take that at face value. I think you're absolutely bang on. On Mish. I think as an addition to that or an extension of that, I wrote down here, stop making excuses for people. Yeah. I think if you're spending your time trying to convince the people around you that the person you're seeing is good or worth it, ask yourself if the person you're actually trying to convince is yourself. Mm. I think so many people, all of us at some point in time, have made excuses for the person we're around and tried to convince the people around us that they are worth it and they are good. And at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is convince ourselves. Yeah, I love that so much. I think on the back of that, be happy being single. Relax into singledom and don't view singledom as a step towards your next relationship. Being single is a relationship status in and of itself and you don't need to change that. I think so many women in particular, but people across the board, benefit from single time in their 20s. I feel like my friends and myself, we grew the most in those moments where we were on our own and I think it's crucial to everyone to have that space and that time. Yeah, well, it reminds me of when I was younger and uh, you always meet people, I think, and a lot of people would have had this where you think, that there's someone in your life who you think you just fundamentally cannot live without. And I wish someone told me that like you absolutely can live without someone that you thought you could never live without and you may thrive Mm. without them. And I think I remember writing this in our book when we wrote a whole chapter back and forth about, you know, settling or feeling like you're in the wrong relationship. But just because you are terrified to leave a relationship doesn't mean you're in the right one. Mm. And I think when I sometimes found myself at a crossroads thinking like, do I want to go out and be single? Do I want to end this relationship or do I want to stay? I would reference the fear I felt about leaving as a sign that I should stay. And I think that was a big mistake I made time and time again. Mm. I think another big one for relationships in your 20s is you are not in competition with anyone else. I think I remember when I'm thinking back to my very young self, maybe in high school, I used to feel so much pressure, like when people would have their first kiss before me or people would have sex before me or people would have their first boyfriend before me. I would feel this daunting pressure that I'm falling behind. And I think that is so potent for so many people in their 20s that you're falling behind, that all your friends are ahead of you and you're going to miss the boat. And there's someone in my life who didn't have a serious relationship and didn't have a boyfriend until their mid-20s. And that was a huge sticking point for her and a huge source of low self-esteem and low confidence. But I look at her now and now that I've gone through my 20s and she's on the cusp of her 30s, I know that that was exactly how things were supposed to pan out and it did happen for her. I would just hope that if 20-year-old Michelle was listening to this, the 20-year-old Michelle who hadn't found a partner who made her feel really happy and really fulfilled, that she would know you don't need to rush it. Like you are not in competition with anyone. It will happen when it happens. I mean, it's similar to that really good piece of career advice I feel like, you know, floats around on LinkedIn like every six (laughs) months, which is that sense of like it's a marathon, not a sprint. You've got so much time. I mean, as women, we have a certain amount of time. But do you know what I mean? When you're looking at a 20-year-old self, you have time. Like you don't need to rush into anything. I think the other one is a pretty obvious one and I feel like you might agree with me as well. But going through a terrible breakup, especially more than one, can be one of the best things to ever happen to you. And I don't want to speak on behalf of everybody because I know some people listening won't agree with that. But I feel like if I was giving this advice to myself, that would be it. Having a terrible breakup, which I remember at the time 
thinking was one of the most underrated sources of pain <laughs> because breakups are so common and everybody has them. I felt like I couldn't turn around to anyone and be like, nobody told me how terrible this is because it's so common, but it was awful. And yet it was easily one of the best things that happened to me because it taught me so much. And I just, I even look back at myself now, and I don't know if you ever feel like that, and you kind of like want to cuddle that person who is so sad all the time, or I feel, I almost feel sad thinking about how sad some of those times were. Yeah, I think I have someone in my life who went through a really cataclysmic abrupt breakup at the end of last year and I think we've both agreed and everyone in my life has agreed that while it was the hardest thing to ever happen to that person it is the best thing that will ever happen to that person like it sucks and it's awful and it might be really frustrating if you are in the pit of despair right now after a breakup it's probably really Friggin' frustrating to hear us sitting behind oh, yeah, microphone saying, this is the best thing that'll ever happen to yeah. you. Like, woohoo. No, it's not like that. You don't know that. And it's not pretty at the time. And to be honest, it's often not pretty with hindsight. Mm. But I think it's when you get to a certain point that you realise, ah, oh, I am who I am because of, I mean, it's like anything. You are who you are because of what happens. Well, there's so much magic in the mess. Like, yes, you are left as a mess, but the stuff you find and the experiences you have and the friendships you build because of that mess make it so worthwhile. I want to talk to you about one that I used to feel self-conscious about in my mid-20s, early to mid-20s, was this idea that your relationship should follow a certain timeline. Don't move in with your boyfriend too soon. You need to have an experience of living with your girlfriends before you move in with your boyfriend. Don't do that. I remember feeling a lot of judgment when I moved out with my boyfriend in the first year that we were dating. And I know that in your 20s, when it comes to love and relationships, there's this idea that there's a right way and a wrong way to go about love and go about dating and that you shouldn't fall into a serious relationship in your early 20s because you'll never get those years back. But I just call bullshit on all of that. I truly believe that everyone's running their own race and the idea that you need to follow a set timeline of moving in with your girlfriends or moving in with a bunch of housemates first is total bullshit. Well, there is a really popular conversation going around all the time about like, should you be spending your 20s in a long-term relationship? And I think the whole thing's kind of futile because I think it's like, well, if it's the right relationship, absolutely you should. Because if it's the right relationship, they will support you and help you grow in a way that you deserve. If you're not in that relationship, then of course, don't be in a long-term relationship in your (laughs) 20s. Like it feels like quite a simple answer to me. But I agree with you. I think there's a whole lot of pressure, not just when it comes to timelines of romantic relationships, but when it comes to all the things you should be doing. Like you say, having the fun share house experience, going away with X amount of friends overseas and doing a big traveling thing. Like all of this stuff can convince you you're doing it wrong when in reality, and as we say time and time again, there's no such thing. I think one thing I wish I could tell myself specifically was ask for what you think you deserve. Like don't settle for what you're getting just because you don't want to seem needy or too mouthy or too opinionated. I think if someone doesn't respond well to your demands of being treated properly, they absolutely aren't the one for you. And I think I wish, I wish I just didn't act kind of chill about things I wasn't chill about. Like, Mm. why did I pretend to do that? And I think so many of us do. And I think when it comes to that sense of neediness, I mean, this is what I wanted to unpack with you for a little bit, Mish, because I think so many women in particular are terrified of being labelled needy. It's almost like the most offensive thing you could call someone in a, you know, monogamous relationship. And 
I kind of wish I was a bit needier from time to time. Like I wish I let people in more. And it reminded me of this article in Mianjin that I actually quoted in our book, Mish, by Lucia Osborne Crowley. And she spoke about this concept of non-dependence that a lot of women practice. And what she means by non-dependence is, and I quote, I use the phrase non-dependence here because I need to make desperately clear that we are not talking about independence, not really. Independence is the wrong word for this evasive quality we are taught to chase. It is not independence at all because true independence is inward looking and self-defining. What is being asked of us here is wholly dreamt up by others. Performing non-dependence is not about us at all, but rather about reading him carefully enough to know exactly what kind of unneediness he ironically needs. Mm. Reading this at the time was like this huge light bulb moment for me because I think so many women I know, like I said, practice non-dependence, something that looks like independence, pretending that you can have a life without your partner when in reality what you're doing is pretending you don't want to lean on them or don't need to lean on them. It's so funny having this conversation because I am very openly one of the most neediest people I know. One of the the most neediest. (laughs) I am the neediest person I know. And Mitch and I are very open about that as well. I remember a meme went around or a tweet went around and became quite viral last year when it was like, oh, I wish in relationships we could just say, I need attention right now. Like if only you could turn to your partner and be like, I need attention right now. And I was like, I literally do that to my partner. I turn to him and I go, I need attention. I need you to like give me a compliment or I need a cuddle or I need like some type of affection from you because I'm feeling needy. And I actually think that's so important. We all need to pick me up and we all need that open communication with our partner. So it's an interesting one because I don't think 20-year-old Michelle would say that. I think she'd cringe at that a lot and be like, oh God, that's a bit desperate or like yeah. a bit cringe. But 20-year-old Michelle constantly found herself dating people who were wrong and who didn't make her feel safe. And I think if you're with a person who makes you feel safe and makes you feel comfortable, you are then comfortable to express what you need in that moment. Well, the reality of relationships is that you need to be able to lean on people. This is the thing that gets me about this whole concept is you need to be able to depend on people. Dependence is healthy. It's like central to human connection. And without any form of dependence, I don't think there's any healthy love. And I think for so long particularly women, have been told it's the opposite, that dependence is unhealthy. And it's rewiring that brain that has been so important for me to be like, no, actually, I'm going to lean on you fully. I'm going to ask things of you. I'm going to depend on you. And that is going to make this a healthier space and relationship for both of us. Can I also add to this another piece of advice, probably like very specific advice I would give to my 20-year-old self when it comes to arguing in a relationship? Don't fight via text message. If you are disagreeing on something, it cannot be written, it has to be spoken and ideally it has to be in person. At the very, very least, you can jump on the phone with each other and have a phone call. But my absolute top piece of advice for anyone in a relationship is no more fighting via text message. Uh, It's a big one. I think we're learning how to fight full stop, but that's probably the first step, isn't it? I think also learning how to apologize genuinely and to mean it. Like Mm. know when you're being a dick, don't (laughs) pretend that you don't know just for the sake of pride or winning an argument. And that's the other thing, pride. Actually, pride is something that I want to unpack for a second because pride is stupidly overrated in my opinion. If you like someone, tell them. Don't be stubborn. 
It is an absolute time waster. I have seen pride get in the way of so many relationships that took way too long to either get back together or get together in the first place because people were playing a game they thought they should be playing. Mm. And pride as well in a relationship when you've had a fight and you refuse to take any accountability 100%. for it. It was quite revolutionary in 2020 when Flex Mommy had many conversations on her Instagram account and also over on her podcast about the concept that 50% of all conflict in your life is your fault. I know that's so simple and I know when you say that out loud it's like well yeah probably of course like you should be accountable for half but I truly think that if you looked across the last four fights you've had with anyone in your life the average person would pencil at least three of those fights down to the other person when in reality we need to take accountability for how we escalate situations and I think in myself in my 20 year old self I did escalate conflict a lot with how I responded to it instead of trying to actively de-escalate and make it a more productive and healthy form of conflict. And fighting can be so healthy to your relationship. Some of the best moments and the best things in my relationship have come off the back of fighting. But learning how to fight and learning how to have that conversation in a way that is safe and healthy for both of you is such a skill. And I actually think it's taken me five years to learn it and I'm still learning. And I think it sounds like a bit of a pie in the sky sort of airy fairy thing when you say learn how to fight. But I think the first place to start, as you said, is fight in person. And the second place to start is know when you're being a dick. Mm. Like know when you're being a dick and just apologize when you are. And then you're on your way. Coming up after the break, our advice for our 20-year-old selves when it comes to friendship and self-love. But first, it's time for a Bumble break. Mish, it's been a pretty crazy 12 months and there is no doubt so many people listening to this may feel fatigued when it comes to dating or have given up altogether. Exactly, Zara. And that doesn't just come down to coronavirus and the pandemic itself either. It turns out 20% of Bumble's users have had a relationship breakdown to add to the list of crappy things that have happened in their personal lives recently. That's why whenever you're ready to dip your toe back into the dating game, Bumble is here and ready. You never know what that next swipe might hold or the new path you'll be sent on when you join. After all, Bumble is the dating app that puts women in control, whether you're looking for a meaningful connection or something more casual. It is time to stop texting your ex and find someone better. Download Bumble today and make the first move. One app, three modes, one mission. Mish, next on our agenda is friendship, of course. But before I ask you what you would tell your 20-year-old self about friendship, let's head back to the beehive. Don't waste your time on people that want different things out of friendship than you. Don't waste your time on a person that only wants to see you when it's on their terms and when they're bored. Spend your time with those people that want to spend time with you, that get the energy from seeing you. I'd probably tell myself that, yeah, you'll go through some hard times and not every relationship will make it, whether that's romantic relationships, friendships, or even potentially family. But the important ones will be there. And that's probably reflective of another important lesson as well, which is just to learn to value your time. Don't waste time on those who aren't worth it. Learn to say no and to set boundaries without being afraid of coming off rude. And that often a tight circle of friends is better than a really large group of friends who aren't going to be there in the really tough times. 
One thing I've learned about friendship as a 22-year-old, and something that I wish I could have told my 20-year-old self, is that people will always enter and leave your life. Often at times, at no fault of your own, and sometimes even at no fault of theirs. It's just that people change so naturally. Friendships and relationships evolve, and that is okay. I guess it is better to let go of a friendship rather than forcing or stifling one that was not meant to be. It's okay to break up with toxic friends. Friends are what hold us together. We can't love ourselves or be in healthy relationships if we have toxic friends. It's okay to let them go. Oh god, I felt some of those and let me say the number one dot point I have in front of me and the very, very first thing that came to my mind when we were researching for this episode and preparing for it is you will lose friends in your 20s. 20-year-old Michelle is about to lose a ton of friends and yes, that sucks and it's painful and it's confusing, but it is what literally every 20-something goes through. I could not point to someone in my life who didn't have this like shedding process of friends. Yeah, it's a shedding. That was a great word to use. I was out for dinner last night with two friends who I hadn't caught up with in a long time. We got to the end of the night and I was like, the theme of this night has been, who are you still friends with? And I and we kept having conversations being like, oh, you're not friends with them anymore. And they were like, no, no, no. And I was like, this is incredible that we all have like a similar list of people who we just don't talk to anymore. Sometimes it's been toxic and bad and sometimes it hasn't it's just sort of fallen away but I had that written down first too friendships will fall apart and sometimes you won't be able to pinpoint why instead of having a moment of intense conflict there may be just a slow build of like riding on the wall when you're not sure when it's going to fall over but it will yeah well a lot of the friends that I have personally shared are like friends of proximity not taking away from how much I adore these people and how much I loved the friendship in the moment But when you're not having the same experience, say you're not working at the same retail store together anymore, you're not going to the same club every Saturday night, you're not working at the same cafe, you begin to have less to talk about. And I think it's just natural in your 20s that as your lives change so much and all of my friends' lives from 20 years old to now 26 look completely different, it's so natural that you just don't have much in common anymore. Yeah, 100%. And then adding to that, like, don't spend time with people who make you feel shit. Yeah, toxic friends. Or don't bring out your best self. Like, I know we did a whole episode on toxic friends a couple of weeks ago. But I think we we talk so much about how a romantic partner should bring out your best self. But so should friends. I mean, I mentioned this in our episode about toxic friends, but I think it's so important to take note about what you're talking to your friends about, because I think it can really expose whether these are friends of proximity or friends that you really want to invest in and keep by your side. Like, are you just spending the whole time bitching about people that you both know? Because if you are, does that fill your cup? You know what? If you And if people want to turn around and say that fills my cup, then that fills your cup. But if it's not filling your cup and making you feel shit after, is it worth your time? Well, it's also like what fills your cup at 20 and what fills your cup in your later 20s can be so so different like the types of conversations I enjoyed having with people and the kinds of things I like doing at 20 years old are so completely different to what I like doing now so it's also just turning around and being like that worked for a time and it just doesn't work anymore it's like that 
age-old adage, what is it? A friend for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Yeah. In your 20s, you will cement the friendships that are going to be there for a lifetime. But a lot of them you'll also realise were just for a reason or a season. Well, I remember being 20 and so many of my friendships were built on this idea that you both knew a lot of the same people and you would spend your time talking about those people. And if I could tell myself anything at 20, I'd be like, start pursuing the stuff where you don't just talk about this. <laughs> I mean, eventually you work it out, but it won't make you feel fulfilled at all. So stop doing it. Why do you think so many people shed friends in their 20s? And do you think it's early 20s, mid 20s, or just your 20s in general that you're just constantly kind of like having this evolution of friendships? I think it's constantly and I think it's evolution. Like yeah. for me in particular, I think there's not been a set time. I mean... I think you look back and there are always like seminal moments where, you know, a breakup might happen in a friendship group and people just start to go everywhere mm. and things like that. You can point to a certain time and say, well, that is when things started to change. But I do think it's just like constant changing of priorities, whether you find yourself in a new relationship and new job, things just change and therefore so do the people around you. What do you mm. think? No, I agree. I think a lot of it also comes down to lifestyle and I actually haven't heard many people have this conversation, but I think attitudes towards drugs and alcohol change a lot as people grow up and some people get more into that stuff the older they get. Some people kind of feel like they've gone through that phase and they're completely out of it and completely reject it now. And I think those lifestyle decisions actually really dictate a lot of friendships sometimes, particularly with men. And I find that really interesting to kind of watch people navigate that when they're not on the same page anymore when it comes to partying and lifestyle choices. And it can be a huge one and it sucks. It sucks because I think it can put sort of a spanner in relationships that up until a certain point were healthy and productive and great, but that is the reality. I think there's the other obvious one where it's like you don't need heaps and heaps of friends. I used to think that busyness like physical busyness of an evening was a marker of how good my social life is or how good I was at friendship. Mm. But that is not the case. Like being busy every night of the week with different groups of people doesn't mean you have the best social life ever because what's to say you could call any of them in a crisis? Mm. Like if you spend six out of seven nights a week at home and one night of the week with two girlfriends or boyfriends or whoever it might be who are really good for you and good for your soul – that's doing friendship right, I would say. Yeah, and also doing friendship right would mean different things for different people. Well, exactly. I also think the way we define friends can be kind of exclusive and make people feel really lonely. For me, two of my best friends in the world are my sisters. Yeah. And I hate the idea that a friend has to be someone you meet at work or someone that you aren't related to. Friends can mean whatever you want it to. I think for me, one of the moments in my 20s where I really learned within myself what is a true friend to me and who are my true friends is I remember the day that my parents split up and my dad left and I was staring at my phone and I was thinking, who do I want to call? Like, who do I actually want to tell and who do I actually want to confide in? And I think the definition of a good friend in life is someone who genuinely cares about what's going on with you, someone where you'll go and get a wine with them and instead of you constantly asking questions about them, constantly hearing about their life, they will be equally invested in yours, that you're both listening to each other, you're both asking questions, and you're both genuinely invested in the outcome. Zara, it is time for our last love, etc. topic. We wanted to ask the listeners about their relationship with themselves. So what is your best advice when it comes to self-love? I'm just about to turn 30 this year and in looking back on my life so far in my 20s, the best advice I wish I could have given myself is you do you. 
You simply just need to make yourself happy. You don't need a man to make yourself happy. You don't need a huge group of friends to make yourself happy. It's about focusing on the things that make you you and making those choices without worrying about what everyone else thinks about you. My advice to my 20-year-old self would be that through relationships, especially with romantic relationships, you're never going to find self-love and self-worth and the validation you get from them is only ever going to be temporary. It might in the moment feel like you're something that you're, I don't know, hot enough, smart enough, pretty enough when a guy gives you some attention, but really they're only there to fulfill their own needs. So my 20-year-old self, I would tell that um, not to invest so much time in trying to find that in a partner and to instead invest in myself and invest in friends instead. I would tell my 20-year-old self that self-love and self-respect starts, in most cases, with making hard decisions. It's not all face masks and, um, and baths, bubble baths. It's really making hard decisions and committing to them for the sake of your own self-respect. As always, there are some gems in there, Mish, but I think when it comes to me, my number one, like the first thing I thought of when I was jotting some notes down for this would be spend time with yourself. I would have said that to myself in a heartbeat at 20, spend Friday and Saturday nights at home with yourself. Stop trying to fill a void. Stop trying to kind of fill it with people that you don't even want to hang out with. Don't always feel the need to fill your time with people. Like learning to be alone may be the best investment you make in yourself. And I think, I mean, it's funny, I say now that I wish I could tell myself at 20 to spend time alone as if I was never alone. But the point was I was alone a lot. And I think it's like relishing that time and understanding the importance of it is what I wish I understood then. This is a very niche, very specific one. But I wish I could tell myself to stop listening to such sad music all the time. I feel like when I was 20, if I was wallowing, (laughs) I would put on a sad playlist and I was depressed. Like I didn't know how to lift myself out of a mood. And it was almost like I relished being in this quite moody, quite dark, quite emotional place. And it wasn't until I got to like 21, 22 that I realized that was actually depression and anxiety. And I needed to learn coping mechanisms to kind of rewire my brain and help my brain find happiness and contentment. So do things that bring joy. Like there is no joy in being sad or relishing in sadness. Find playlists that make you feel energized and happy. Buy plants and invest in the space around you. I know money is tight when you are 20 and you're working part-time retail. You're probably going to uni or TAFE or doing something on the side. But still, find a way. Even if they're fake plants at Target and they cost $10, just do something to invest in your physical space because I truly, the older I get, the more I realize your physical space mirrors your internal space. Yeah, 100%. I also would say go to the fucking doctor. Oh, go to the psychologist, go to the doctor, go take care of yourself. I know we're talking about money again and it is easier said than done, but I think whenever, and even still, it's I still have this problem to this day. It's always my sister, I'm talking to her being like, oh, I'm just like so sick, but I'm also so sick of spending money on being sick. Mm. And I think a lot of people with any kind of chronic illness would feel the same. And she would say time and time again, Like the best investment you can ever make, the best use of your money you can ever make is spending it on your health. And it's ridiculous that I need to be reminded of that every six to 12 months, but I still do. And I wish I went more when I was younger. Well, at 20, I have had chronic asthma my entire life. And at 20, I distinctly remember my health was probably the worst it has ever been. 
I did not treat my body with respect in many, many ways that extended to eating, but also to health and going to the doctor and taking my asthma medication every single day. Like it extended to so much. You don't need to love your body. Like when people talk about self-love, no one is expecting you to be infatuated with your body, infatuated with your mind, infatuated with the work you put into the world. But it is an expectation that you should respect all of those things. Like respect yourself, treat yourself like someone you care about. And when you make mistakes, don't punish yourself. Like you're human, you're growing, you're learning. If you respect yourself, I feel like you will live such a more fulfilled life. Well, it's something that I still probably am not very good at now and definitely wasn't very good at when I was 20 is like really making note of my own internal dialogue Mm. and almost being a fly on the wall to how I was talking to myself. And I'm like, why? Like, what is it about our minds that beat ourselves up over things when you would never beat someone else up over the same thing? Like, it's incredible the conversations that you have with yourself and how important they are to your insanity and sense of calm. Oh, it's so sad. I think back to the things I used to tell myself and the stories that I would convince myself of, and I wouldn't even want to write them down because they're so dark and they're so nasty. And I I would truly hope that any 20-year-old listening to this would at least take that on board. The way you talk to yourself is so important and you are so much better better than what you tell yourself as well. I also think another one is I wish I gave more people the benefit of the doubt. I think benefit of the doubt is is lacking a lot these days in particular when it comes to online discourse or I don't know how we consider other people on social media, but I really wish that I kind of didn't jump on bandwagons and saw people as full people with kind of like a whole spectrum of flaws and positive qualities before I sort of jumped on them and thought that they were silly or irresponsible or whatever it might be. Yeah, well, piggybacking off that, if you do find yourself doing that, if you are jumping on internet bandwagons and if you are finding yourself incensed and enraged by people online, give yourself a break, do what Zara did recently and take yourself off social media too. have a hiatus. Well, that was another one. I was like, get off my phone, read some more yeah. books. I reckon there was a period from like 21 to 23, 24 where I just didn't read that much. Yeah. And it is one of the great joys of my time. Like it is genuinely one of the great joys. Get off the Daily Mail sidebar of shame, 20-year-old Michelle, and invest in something that's actually wholesome and good and is like art instead of just trashing some celebrity based on pap photo. <laughs> I also think learning to say yes is just as important as learning to say no. Like I know that we always talk about boundaries and knowing when to say no to something. And that's been so huge in my life, learning how to say no, when to say no, and how important it is for, I think, mental health. But I also think learning to say yes is big too. Say yes to stuff that scares you and that makes you nervous. I feel like I've always been a very nervous person. I get nervous over the silliest things and nerves can kind of just overwhelm me from time to time. And I wish I could tell myself to just make a conscious effort to ignore nerves. Like nerves aren't an indicator of whether you should or shouldn't do something. Like if you're scared, learn to say yes. Yeah, and I want to say yes more to myself now than ever as well like that's not something that I've got down pat I want to be putting more oranges in the basket of myself like I feel like I give a lot to work I give a lot to the things in my life that don't necessarily fill my own cup and I sound like a HR manager when I say that it's such like HR slang but I constantly come back to the second appointment I ever had with my psychologist where she told me the 12 oranges analogy and I'm sure we have either referenced to this before in the shameless podcast or here on love etc but for those who might have missed it the 12 oranges analogy is very very simple Imagine that you have four baskets. Those baskets are labelled work, friends, family and yourself. 
if you had to assign those 12 oranges to those four baskets right now, work, friends, family, yourself, where would the oranges sit? I remember in the first ever appointment with my psychologist, I said, work would probably have eight or nine oranges right now. I might have two in friends, one in family and none left for me. And I can honestly say now when I look at my life, it is so much more balanced in that I might not have three in each, but I don't have nine in work anymore. And not only has that made me a happier person, it's made me a more productive, better worker. I enjoy work more. I'm not burnt out by it all the time. Put some oranges in your own basket, like prioritize yourself. It is the best thing you'll do. I think that might be a beautiful place to end with all the oranges. The orange analogy is one of my favorites. You have, of course, been listening to Love Etc., a production from Shameless Media. Sign up to Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move towards friendship, professional and romantic relationships. Thank you so much for all your support throughout season three of Love Etc. We have absolutely adored putting these episodes together. If you are new to the show, we have plenty of eps in our back catalogue for you to check out. Episodes that cover everything from cheating from all sides, heartbreak, swinging in your 20s, forbidden romances and hating sex. You'll find all the links to those in our show notes. That is all from us guys for a little while, but don't forget to follow Bumble on Instagram at Bumble underscore Australia. Meanwhile, we are at Shameless Podcast. Thanks guys. Bye. How do we we walk off the stage? Oh, thanks guys. (laughs) See ya.